Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership, and we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. Hey, super excited to have Dr. Derek Halverson, president of Covenant College, uh, a sister school in our area that is doing some amazing things up in the beautiful area of Lookout Mountain. And I'm, I'm always like both times that I've been out there, it is like a different world up there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty unique. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we're the only uh, college campus in America from which you can see seven states. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, stunning location, a beautiful little corner of the state of Georgia. Uh, just a couple hours up the road. I felt fortunate when I came out, you gave me kind of the backstage tour and we even got to go up the tower yeah. and, uh, and actually see, you know, see the real view, which was, which was just absolutely amazing. Um, so on our show, we, the joy of leadership, we're going to certainly talk about kind of school leadership in a little bit. Uh, we also talk about the idea of just the fact that our paths are rarely linear. Mm. And so I would love to, to kind of back me up to young Derek uh, growing up in California, I believe, and uh, back me up to young Derek and kind of walk me through what that path looked like, how you were interpreting God's direction for your life, what actually occurred, and kind of back me up to there. I'd love to be able to hear that yeah, story. Sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm in my 50s, so it's a long story now, James, <laughs> but uh, I'll try to make it not too long. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I spent my early uh, formative years in the San Francisco Bay Area and actually have been connected to Christian education um, for almost all of my life. Mm. So uh, my grandparents, my grandfather was an Anglican minister, and he okay. um, and his wife and my mom uh, started a Christian school in Los Altos, California mm. in uh, the in 1974, I think. Christian so, K-12 or Christian uh, college? St- school. Okay. K-, K Started out K-4. Five, I guess. Okay. Um, so I was in the inaugural kindergarten class no of Canterbury Christian School in okay. Los Altos, California, which still exists. Yeah. 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 So I have some great pictures of myself with, you know, butterfly collar, plaid, <laughs> uniform shirts sure. on. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Christian school uh, in California. And then um, in the late 70s, my family moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. So okay. that's where I picked up my what I like to think is a genteel Southern accent. Okay. Uh, my mom's a California girl. My dad's from Wisconsin. I'm not a Southerner, but I was a part of the early <laughs> migration of okay. Northerners to Charlotte when the banking industry was really exploding there. And, um, and so finished my K through 12 schooling, uh, elementary school, late elementary school through high school at Charlotte Christian school uh, up in Charlotte. I'm well aware of it. I'm very familiar. I, I figured you'd be yeah. very familiar. My, yeah. my, I like to think that my claim to fame is that I played in the same basketball program as Steph Curry. Nice. Uh, you teach him a few things. Yeah. Yeah. I tell yeah, I was, I'm a little bit older than Steph. I played, uh, in the head coach's first year as a head coach. Steph played for him his last year as a head coach. Okay. And, but I do tell people that I, I helped to help to build the program that formed <laughs> and shaped Steph Curry. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. So, uh, Barry Giller's the head there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's a good friend. Good friend. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Charlotte Christian through high school and then, um, faced with a difficult college decision when I got to, uh, the end of my senior year, um, had a lot of, uh, interesting opportunities, uh, was a finalist for, uh, Moorhead scholarship at the university of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I had a full tuition ROTC scholarship to Duke, had an appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy um, and got a scholarship offer from Covenant College on top of Lookout Mountain in Northwest Georgia. And so 
through my visit processes or uh, my various campus visits and a lot of conversations, uh, ended up saying um, no to Carolina Duke and Navy and yes to Covenant College. And there's a longer story there about how I came to that decision that I could jump into. Honestly, I would love for you, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of what we do here is working through with teenagers. Yeah. And, uh, like I, I know because my son was on the route for the Naval Academy as well. Mm. And, uh, and, and I know what kind of legwork that takes oh, yeah. and Senator's approval. And I mean, it's, it's really, it's really quite a lengthy process. So you were definitely heading in that way or else you wouldn't have put in the legwork to be able to get to that spot. Yeah. So yeah. Walk, walk me through that as well. And then we'll yeah, sure. The well, um, the, uh, I mean, the, the sort of the story is that campus visits ended up being really important for me. And I encourage any high school student Absolutely. who's thinking about college to get onto the campus. Um, and, and don't just do the, the tour. They always show you the pretty stuff on the tour. Mm-hmm. But if you can, get into a, a class, um, ask students about what they're learning, ask them about their relationships with their professors. Um, if you're able to stay overnight, I think that's really helpful because it gives you a sense for what the culture or the ethos is like right. uh, on a college or university campus. So, um, you know, I went to North Carolina and um, I went to what for me was, well, I went to a large, maybe 300 person sociology class. Mm-hmm. I sat with the guys who I was staying with in the back row in the the big lecture hall. Mm-hmm. I asked them, I said, do you like your professor? And they said, well, we don't know our professor. Yeah, we, he, he, he doesn't never met them. He, he doesn't know <laughs> us. Yeah. And, uh, and then those guys had me uh, pump the keg at their fraternity, <laughs> fraternity mixer that night. Um, I went to Duke the next day and I went to a what turned out to be a very boring political science class where a very smart professor, you know, talked over the heads of the undergraduates in the room. And I, I later learned that at tier one research universities, R1s, they don't pay right. professors to teach undergraduates. They pay right. them to do research and publish. That's right. And so uh, boring political science class. And I went back to the dorm room and the guys that I was staying with were playing uh, drinking games in the dorm mm-hmm. room. So I, I wandered around campus in Durham by myself that night. And then a few weeks later, visited Navy for my official candidate visit. And the guys that I stayed with at Navy um, did not crack a book while I was there. Um, they did sneak off campus to go into D.C. to watch a Capitals hockey game and have some beers. Mm. Uh, so there was a consistent theme to my college visits. That's right. They all involved alcohol. Right. <laughs> but but uh, then I, I uh, after that, went and visited Covenant. And, and why? Did somebody bring that up to you? Was that a story yeah, you already knew? We, you already I, had, I had bumped into a couple – a handful of Covenant grads um, as a high school student in Charlotte and had been consistently impressed with um, their character, the type right. of people that they were, um, the work that they were doing uh, in the world. And one of the one of the guys I knew was a uh, did Covenant College's 3-2 engineering partnership with Georgia Tech. So he had done three years at Covenant, two years at Georgia Tech, dual degree, and then North Carolina for an MBA and was working in the executive management or was in the executive management track at uh, at Bank of America. And I thought, wow, you know, he's pretty, he seems like he's pretty well prepared for life. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should go check out that place. So, um, yeah, I went to Covenant for my visit, um, had a great visit, went to some interesting classes where there was really lively conversation going on between faculty and students that happens in a place where, you know, the average class size is 17. Mm -hmm. Um, so really engaging conversations between faculty and students in the classroom. Um, you know, went to a, uh, fun dance on campus there was no keg there for me to pump but it was mm-hmm. a, it was still a really fun <laughs> fun dance uh went to a lively chapel service I, I got to train with the soccer team and covenant had a nationally ranked you know small college soccer team still does and um i know that's familiar to you as a right. guy who went Absolutely. to messiah same yeah, sort of thing right. and and so um and then what what really 
impressed me most was a conversation that I witnessed in the dorm room where I was staying. And that happens on a, you know, a, a smaller residential college campus where you live with the people who you sometimes go to class with. And the guys I was staying with were having a conversation in their dorm room that had started in a classroom and it spilled over into the dorm room. And that happens in conversation. You start thinking about talking about something in class and you might keep talking about it in the dining hall or in right. a professor's office or in a dorm room. So these guys were in their dorm room and they were debating um, or carrying on a debate about the degree to which the Apostle Paul's view of human nature had been shaped or influenced by late classical Platonism. Decidedly different than popping in the cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so I wasn't, I don't know that I was all that wise at age 17, but I did have a sense that, hey, college is supposed to be about That's learning. Right. Yes. Um, about, you know, being stretched and growing. And, and these these folks up on top of this mountain in Northwest Georgia are very clearly serious about learning and they're serious about their faith. Um, they're serious about their soccer. They're serious about having fun while they do all mm-hmm. those things. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I made a decision that was very confusing for my high school guidance counselor because he was ready to crank out some press releases about, right. you know, the name Navy, institution, yeah, Navy, yeah. Carolina Duke. Yeah. Um, and I ended up at Covenant College and I was in the McClellan Scholars Program, which is a really wonderful uh, Christian leadership um, scholarship program there at the college. Great, uh, great program, great opportunity, but I really had a profoundly transformative undergraduate experience at Covenant. I found that I was stretched academically. Um, I found that I was nurtured spiritually. Um, it was really healthy for me to be in an environment where, uh, fellow students and faculty were asking hard questions and wrestling with difficult issues, but doing so from a biblical perspective. Um, it was important for me at a time in life. And I think this is true for most of us when we go off to college. Um, if we do go off to college, oftentimes we're really out from underneath mom and dad's roof for the first time. And we're having to decide, you know, what, what do I really believe? Who am I? There's no more vicarious faith. Yeah. Yeah. Do do I really believe these things or is this just the cultural baggage that my parents dumped on me? And now that I'm off at college, I can let it go. And you know, the national data, uh, that I've seen most recently from the Rainer research group, suggests that only 30% of Americans who are in the church in high school are still in the church after college. So the majority of people walk away from the church and oftentimes many of them walk away from the faith as well in their college years. Barna Research supported it just in the opposite, saying 70% of of students will walk away from their faith by the age of 21, which is horrifying. And the return rate is like less than 7% uh, post 35, which is, is I mean, that's, that's a massive stat. It really does point out... Uh, the vitality, the importance, the necessity of Christian education. Obviously, on my side, it's K twelve, but yep. but they're in a college setting as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Christian educators are 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 there to, in many respects, you know, mentor and disciple young men and women as they're working through these questions. Um, not to give them easy platitudes, but to help them really wrestle mm-hmm. with um, the, the hard questions that you're faced with in our world. And and those questions are probably becoming increasingly more challenging mm-hmm. as the veneer of Christianity. Um, rubs off yes. in our society. Absolutely. Now, did you already have a, a deliberate and thoughtful faith prior to that? Uh, if so, when was when was that more developed for you that was not vicarious faith, but very much personal faith? Yeah. For you, when did that transpire? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and I don't remember, you know, a Sunday when we weren't in church. Um, but my, my family's faith was certainly vibrant. And so that rubbed off on me, uh, very early. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I could identify a date when I made a commitment, but I certainly was, um, 
a committed follower of Christ through my, my high school years. I was fortunate to go to a great Christian school where I had some great Christian friends right. who provided accountability and encouragement in my walk with Christ. Um, I mean, I, I still have fond memories of once a week, early, uh, you know, preschool Bible studies at the, uh, at the Wendy's uh, on the <laughs> south side of Charlotte. So, um, yeah. And then, and then I think was, I think things really did accelerate for me though in college when, right. when I, mom and dad weren't around anymore. Right. And right. I was, you know, blessed to be at a place where there were really, really intelligent and, you know, highly credentialed faculty who were pushing me and asking hard questions and also encouraging me in my faith and modeling for me what an engaged uh, Christian life looked like. I mean, it's uh, my mom gave me a hard time once because I came home and I was telling her about my advisor in the history department at Covenant. I was a history major and a philosophy minor, and my advisor, um, wonderful guy, excellent uh, scholar of Russian history, uh, active elder in his local church, and on Friday nights, um, he worked in the soup kitchen in downtown Chattanooga. And I was like, oh, mom, isn't this incredible? I and mean, this guy's got a PhD in Russian history, and he's an elder in his church, and he you know, works in the soup kitchen on Friday nights. My mom said, do you not remember when we took you to do those service projects? When you were oh, yeah, you know. Sometimes it's not as impressive when it's mom and dad when doing it as it dad, is, yes. you know, someone who's got a PhD and, right. you know, who's, right. who's just someone else. Which, um, truthfully, is one of the biggest parts. It's one of the biggest benefits of Christian education is yeah. that really and truly students going through that age range from 14 to 22 to 23, really, they need other people who yeah. are speaking into them in the same way their parents are, because yep. it tends to be, we as, we as younger people tend to disregard those who we yeah, love the most. We, we discount our parents right. and, right. and it is, it is really powerful for young Christians to know other adult Christians. That's right. And to know, hey, like these people are really smart. Right. These people have not checked their brain at the door. That's right. Um, they're thoughtful. Um, they're, you know, well-educated and they love Jesus Christ. They love his body, the church. They're involved in the life of the body of Christ. Um, it's a really powerful testimony. I think, you know, one of the really important things that teachers at a place like Hebron or faculty at a place like Covenant do for their students is, is they believe uh, in their presence. Right. And that that's really um, powerful, powerful right. for students. So Covenant really was an extension of a faith journey that had already been pretty vibrant yeah. and, and pretty living. It, it's funny, and I, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, for me, I, I went to Messiah College uh, for my undergrad, absolutely loved my experience. Uh, I also grew up in a great Christian home, but uh, I, I made some decisions earlier on where I lived a fairly rebellious life mm. for a number of years. And for me, I was I was really new to the faith from a personal perspective rather than a vicarious perspective. So I'd made a personal commitment in my senior year in high school, and so choosing Messiah uh, was was real. It was almost like a starting line for yeah. me rather yeah. than an extension of it. It allowed me to go there. For me, also the. Uh, intellectual pursuit mm. was really, really crucial for me. Yeah. I, I went there and, and there was uh, really two professors that were big reasons for me, but uh, there was a professor named, named uh, William Jolliffe and uh, he was an English guy and a poet uh, was writing really some cutting edge stuff mm. uh, about the Christian faith. And so as a young believer uh, who, who kind of comes to God naturally from an intellectual pursuit rather than emotively, that was really important to me. Yeah. Uh, also, a professor named Paul Nisley uh, was writing some things on the Brethren in Christ uh, mm. movement and, and, and really kind of understand 
understanding what an intentional faith looks like that really shaped my early years. And so Messiah for me became a starting point. Covenant for you becomes really an extension of a journey that's already. But you certainly were not there. Well, maybe you were there saying, hey, one day I'd like to be president here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you went out and traded currencies for a while yeah, after college. Yeah. Take, you know, take me through that, yeah. that kind of circuitous journey. Yeah, so I, I never envisioned being president and my college roommates think it's funny that I now have a master key to the institution. <laughs> um, but I did, I did think that I might like to, to teach in a place like Covenant. I mean, because of the, the profound um, life-shaping influence that my faculty had had on me, I thought, boy, this would be, that's a wonderful calling, um, a calling to teach. Absolutely. And I love, uh, I love the life of the mind. Like the same sort of thing you were saying, how energizing it is yes. to discover a, a Christian life of the mind and not just, um, you know, we're not, we're not just ticking boxes for the sake of getting some credentials, but there are real interesting, important questions that we come to with a distinct perspective on as followers of Jesus Christ and as people who know the truth of his word. And so um, I've, I found all of that very exciting and the thought of potentially potentially being able to speak into young people's lives at some point in the future, the way I my life had been mm. spoken into my, my faculty. So I thought, oh, I'll go to grad school. This is great. Um, and I had, had some faculty encourage me in that direction. And I did not get into any of the graduate schools mm. to which I applied. And there's a longer story there about how not to go about applying to grad schools because <laughs> it's it's different than, you know, it is. when you come out of high school and you've got good grades and good test scores, you get into good schools. Right. Not the way it goes for grad school where you need to know something about the faculty you want to work with That's and right. what they've written and how your research is lined up theirs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and I did not ask for help from my faculty in the way I should have. And so I, I got, um, I got shut out uh, in, in God's providence. I got shut out, but that was um, important because it led to me uh, returning to Charlotte, uh, starting to work in the financial markets and and going from Charlotte up to Chicago to trade foreign currencies, which is not what uh, one would expect a history major right. and philosophy minor from Covenant College to do. But uh, I think probably testimony to how a really a high quality liberal arts education um, equips you to do all sorts of things sure. because it teaches you to think and it right. teaches, it teaches you, to you to solve to problems and it teaches you to communicate That's with people. Right. And those, those skills are, you know, to use uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb's language, they're anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, whatever, no matter what's happening in the job market, those are skills that can be applied. That's right. And so I uh, spent time in Chicago. Most probably the most important thing about that was I met my wife in Chicago. Mm -hmm. She's a Wheaton college grad. Okay. Um, and so she was working in the city. I was working in the city. We were introduced. And so I met her up there, but then, um, really missed academia. I mean, I was the weird currency trader who was reading books about medieval and reformation history on my lunch break <laughs> on the trading desk. And so, uh, left the markets and went to the university of Arizona. Um, I did an MA in history in the division for late medieval and reformation studies there. And then I uh, went over, went over to Oxford on a fellowship to do some research, at the Bodleian library between my MA and my PhD. And I went to Loyola Chicago for my PhD in uh, medieval history. So mm. thinking I'm going to, I'm going to get to the classroom. This is, I'm, I'm, all, I'm on my way to doing what I had envisioned doing in college. And uh, while I was at Loyola um, working on my dissertation, I had the opportunity to return to Covenant to work in the administration. And it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but I thought, well, it gets me closer to an academic institution of the type I would like to serve. And I'll probably, I'll probably um, better understand how higher ed works if I go work on the administrative side. And so I did marketing, communications, PR, branding work for a couple of years not what I was planning to do with my PhD in medieval history, but it was interesting. I was mm -hmm. learning a lot and then shifted into doing uh, major gift fundraising. Definitely not what I was planning to do with my PhD in medieval history, but I'd come to believe, oh, it's really important that someone's out there um, 
you know, bring in resources Absolutely. to to subsidize the work Absolutely. that Christian educators are doing. And so, um, so did that for a while. And I think really the combination of of you know having an earned PhD. I mean, a PhD in medieval history—that sounds pretty legitimate, doesn't it? It does, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, You're, you've got some street cred with yeah, your professors. Yeah, so so I have a PhD in medieval history, and I could raise money, and right. that meant that uh, I had the opportunity to go out to Southern California and be the president of Providence Christian College, which is a small uh, Christian liberal arts college in Pasadena. In nature. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then um, in 2012, uh, was invited to return to, to Covenant to serve as the president. So I tell students every year. Um, I give a lecture. The first lecture of the first core course that every student takes at Covenant College um, is a lecture that I deliver on calling. And one of the things I tell them in that lecture is that um, our, our paths are often circuitous. And, right. some, and sometimes they don't seem to make sense to us in the moment. We have an idea of what we want to do, how we're going to get there. Some of us are more driven than others, but mm-hmm. generally people think, I kind of want to go do this, and this is how you get from point A to point B. And my path certainly wasn't like that, but as I've gotten older and wiser, I recognize a lot of people's paths almost like everyone. Yeah, I mean, God right. God takes you on these circuitous paths, and I think part of what He wants you to do is to learn to trust Him. That's right. um, but also, you you discover that these experiences that you had um, that didn't seem to make a lot of sense in the moment, that might have seemed like a tangent or a wrong turn on your vocational path, in fact, were were experiences that God was giving you to prepare you for what He had for you ultimately. So Absolutely. my, my work in the financial markets gave me facility with numbers, but I was a very good math student in high school, but I took no math or finance or econ or anything like that in college. Well, I had to get back into math and numbers and, you know, be able to read a balance sheet and that sort of thing. So, um, I got, you know, I got forced to sort of develop, redevelop my facility with numbers, um, getting ex- experience in communications and marketing, uh, getting experience as a major gift fund. And these were all things that Crucial parts of the yeah. role of the president. Crucial parts right. of the role of the and president. And frankly, the role of head of school as well. I yeah. mean, they're yeah, very exact, similar. Yeah, very similar. And so right. um, I'm grateful, as hard as it was at times, you know, asking, as the psalmist does, you know, why, why God? Like, right. you know, and why, how long? Um, right. I want to, I think I want to go do this. I think you've come into this, but I'm doing this other thing over here, and I, I don't quite get it. And mm-hmm. um, hindsight really is 2020. You look back and you go, Oh, I see what he was doing now. Right. That seemed like a wrong turn, but actually he was providing this opportunity to give me these experiences so that right. I would be better prepared for the right. work that he's calling me to now. When I was, when I was walking through some of those same, some of those decision uh, regarding my path, you know, earlier through, I would always, I, I, I tend to be a, a pretty lengthy journaler. And so mm. I tend to do a lot of journaling, yeah. but in my journals, I can go back and look at where I'm exploring kind of the three things that really interested me in life. I figured I was either going to be a pastor, uh, because I, I just, I love kind of getting into the nitty gritty of God's word and the theological implications of that and the life implications of that. So I, it was either going to be a pastor. I love the idea of being a professor. Mm. Uh, my first couple of degrees are in English literature. And so uh, you know, I was either going to jump in and be a professor or I was going to be an entrepreneur and start my own business. And I had a few different ideas on that. So it was, it was going to be one in one of those three pieces. Yeah. And, and in hindsight, I look back on that and recognize the job that I'm in is like the perfect intersection of those three pieces, right? right? Yeah. The, those three passions. I really can't think of another job that, it, that those three passions live out as well as in, as in this role of senior leadership uh, in a Christian in a Christian yeah, school, yeah, uh, and I and I love that, right? That they, that here I'm thinking that I'm in I'm walking in circles for a number of years, and yet 
I, in, I look back on it in hindsight and recognize God's hand uh, upon every single step that he yeah. was putting different tools in my toolbox for, for me to be prepared for this next, this next yeah. part of the journey. Yeah. And that, that's such a beautiful piece. It's such a great, it's such a great understanding. Now, I, so you, you started into one of my favorite discussion points. It's actually number two in my notes with oh, you. Oh, good. Uh, but, but, but uh, you, you introduced the idea of a calling versus a job. Mm. We're both at the point where we have the privilege of steering young people uh, walk me through kind of how you fully grapple with and then how you also teach the idea of living a life with a calling mm-hmm. rather than merely a job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should have brought my 45 minutes worth of That's lecture, right. you lecture notes yeah. with me, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Uh, I mean, I, I think one of the things that we, uh, or certainly I try to establish with students at the outset is that um, there really are, if, if you look at Scripture, and I'm thinking in particular of Ephesians chapter four, there are, there's a distinction between sort of two different types of call. And we joke on campus about a big C calling and little C callings. And, and that's, I think it's become a meme now. Students <laughs> laugh about it whenever we we're talking about it, but certainly scripture talks about the effectual call of the gospel in right. our lives. Um, but then scripture also talks about other callings that we're given and, and, not just one other calling. I mean, we, we, we do tend to associate that with vocation, but certainly we're called to roles as spouses right. or parents or Absolutely. church members. I mean, these are things that God calls us to and calls us to walk faithfully in. Um, but we also believe that God's you know gifted us in particular ways, that he's sovereign and has plans for our lives and um, and has made us, uh, created us to, to do work. Um, that's, that's a was a feature of Adam and Eve's life in the garden. Um, and so and so work is good, uh, although it's now marred by sin, mm-hmm. and God has gifted us to do uh, work and, and equips us and calls us to particular um, roles, including what we would call vocational roles, and of course vocational, you know, from the Latin for being called, mm-hmm. uh, vocatio. So um, we try to help students understand that God gives them Certainly, he has called them with the effectual call of the gospel, but he has also given them little C callings, uh, these other callings in life, um, and that a big part of what they're doing in their education is being equipped for right. the faithful pursuit of the callings that God places on them. And God doesn't only call people to pastoral ministry or the right. mission field or yes. teaching in a right. Christian school. Um God calls people to be bankers and lawyers right. and doctors and business owners and entrepreneurs and filmmakers and you name it. Um, those are all wonderful callings. And that and it's through those callings that God accomplishes his purposes in the world. I, one of the quotes I always share with students is um, Luther's famous <clears throat> Luther's famous quote that he was the the God um, through the the God was milking the cows through the calling or the vocation of the milkmaid. Mm. You know that that's one thing I think I think I went through maybe a two maybe even three decade misunderstanding about that where I where I feel like when I was younger uh, I kind of understood having a calling my dad was a pastor he had a calling uh, my parents were just wonderful examples of of, of faith driven individuals so there were people living with us as coming through our home 
regularly who are pastors from around Canada and the U.S., missionaries from around the globe who were coming to stay with us for sometimes short periods, sometimes extended periods. Uh, but I had always associated this idea that people who are call it, who have a calling, they're they're pastors, they're missionaries, mm-hmm. they're you know where these other people they have jobs, and 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 that's maybe the greatest epiphany that has driven uh, my later life is is this idea that that. I want to make sure that my students understand we want you to be the biologist. We yeah. want you to be the physician. We want you to be the attorney. We want you to be those things. Pursue those passions that God has already instilled mm-hmm. in you where you find kind of the intersection of what you're good at and what you love doing. Find that intersection, but bring Christ there deliberately mm-hmm. and intentionally that it changes the surgeon from being just a surgeon who has a job to the surgeon who is also a purveyor of who Christ right. is, yeah. living that out in a very real and authentic and daily manner. It changes it. So 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 much of calling is perspective. Mm-hmm. It's the perspective of intentionally choosing. You had mentioned a little a little while while earlier, uh, just kind of about the societal impact, which I'm which which I'm so intrigued with. There is this this misconception that if we bring faith into those environments, somehow we're going to be ridiculed or we're going to uh, be, be less than the other biologist who isn't, you know? Um, and what, what I found is that I, I kind of call it this matter-of-fact faith, that we're meant to have this matter-of-fact faith that Christ is. We, we don't necessarily need to debate it. Let's just live with a loving mentality. Let's live with Christ and, and wait for the opportunities to come because if you are a willing spirit— you're going to find that your calling gets to be utilized mm-hmm. in every facet of your life. So I, I love that you're. I love you're saying that. Expand on that for me. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I think one of the things that you said just reminded me. One of the, the lessons I remind students of is that um, part of discovering your calling or your callings is is discerning where you're gifted and where where you love and where the real real needs in the world right. are. And and um, you know as you and college is a great time to be exploring those those kinds of things. And I think that this distinction um, between jobs and callings, it, it actually was one of the most significant um, sort of rediscoveries of the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the Middle Ages, um, the only people who had callings were monks and nuns and right. priests. And, right. and, and so those, were, those people were called religiosi. They were the religious, and everyone else was, a, uh, was secular, mm-hmm. uh, seculares. So... Um, this was an important discovery of the reformers or rediscovery of the reformers was that, no, I mean, God, God's called, you know, the barber and the surgeon and the farmer and all those people have a, a God given calling. Um, and, and through their faithful execution of their calling, um, through doing good work, uh, they bear witness to the God who has given them these gifts and these talents and these skills. Um, and in their, in their faithful, uh, in their faithful, execution of their callings or pursuit of their callings. Um, God will give them opportunities perhaps to testify, right. uh, uh, not just, I mean, to testify both in deed and in word right. um, to the God who's given them those gifts. And God often uh, provides via scripture uh, truth that helps to shape the way they pursue their calling. I and mean, this is one of the, I was just had a conversation last week with the chair of our business program who was talking about an article that he wrote a while back on the implications of um the doctrine of the image of God, the imago dei, for how you approach management. Mm-hmm. But the way the way a Christian business owner thinks about management is different because Absolutely. 
he or she recognizes the image of God right. in his or her employees. There is a responsibility. Yeah, and that. so that, that theological framework that's provided by Scripture um, actually shapes and informs the way we pursue our callings in the world and um, at times will make us distinctive. I mean, I think there are, there are certainly you know, business owners who, through God's common grace, treat their people differently. Well. Yeah, right. treat, treat them well differently. And so right. in that sense, you know, the Christian business and the non-Christian run business wouldn't necessarily look different, but there are also, mm-hmm. it, it certainly is the case that believers ought to be absolutely treating the folks that they manage and care for. I was, I was at a lecture where that, where that, that challenge was being given to the parents of a group of students. And one of the parents who, who were in the, who were in the audience that day, he owned a very, very successful dry cleaning company uh, with, with a lot of branches. And so, so they were, they were a, a, a very, financially well-off family, um, he, he left the conversation and recognized he had not uh, truly implemented his calling mm. in his business model. And he went back and made this audacious decision to, to give a, a substantial raise, like to the tune of 30 to 40% to all of his employees that he recognized, yeah. I'm living in excess. I have excess. In many cases, I'm paying my employees this low wage only because that's what I think I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. because that's what I'm being told. And he said, as a believer, I want my calling to impact even the decisions that I make upon how I'm going to care for my employees. Yeah. So he became the best paying place in town where, where, where his employees were actually able to make a living wage and provide for their families. Now, what that had is some really great byproducts yeah. to it is that one, he never lost an employee. Two, he had a list of people who were waiting to work for him. And lo and behold, his business actually expanded, and he ended up making even more money uh, in, in, the, in this process of doing what was right and really and truly being able to apply. He began, I mean, he said, listen, I own the company. Nobody can fire me, so I'm going to start doing Bible studies with my staff. And so he started doing Bible studies yeah, with all it. of his staff where, where he really made that this intentional piece. But, but we live in this place where so often we just think that compartmentalization is just something that we're supposed to do. If we're mm-hmm. professional, we have to compartmentalize. Just the opposite. If, if we're really and truly pursuing Christ, we should tear down the walls of compartmentalization where we live our faith out in every aspect of who we, yeah. of who we yeah. are and who we should be. You know, Absolutely. Which, which is such a great opportunity. So, yeah. when you're steering students in regard to that, uh, you know, are are you seeing this generation as a more hopeful generation where they're kind of grappling with those questions earlier? What are your thoughts about about this group? Because that this is now your your yeah. age range, this college aged student. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's hard to make uh, in some respects. It's hard to make generalized comments. In, particularly because of just the disruption that's happened over the last mm, few years. And true. I think every, you know, there's a lot of dust in the air still and people right. are going, you know, well, how is this generation going to respond to, um, to, you know, what's what they've experienced over the last few years. Um, I would say that I tend to be pretty hopeful um, given the exposure or the interaction that I have with the students that we have at Covenant College. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're a group of, of young people who, um, you know, the, they're, they're young enough that they they don't know sort of the the heyday of it's comfortably a Christian in America right. that right. I knew growing up right. in the 70s and 80s right. uh, they've grown up in a world where the the world around them is much more suspicious of or even hostile to um, Christians and believers mm-hmm. um, and many of them have had to navigate um, already I mean half of our students are from 
uh, private schools, mostly Christian schools, but at, typically a quarter of our students are from public schools. So they've been in settings where um, they, they, they very much sense the fact that believers, true believers are in the minority right. um, and are on the margins. And um, our culture has shifted pretty significantly in, in terms of how it views, views some social issues that puts them on the outside. And and so I'm, I'm encouraged just by seeing how they have been faithful in their, um, in their witness. Uh, and, um, they're just, they're much more comfortable it seems with uh, life on the margin, um, which was the which was the life of the early church. It was, and, it was the early church, yeah, the life yeah. of, of yeah. churches in places right. like China and right. So, I, I guess where where I get so encouraged when I'm working with you know either late teenagers or or early adults in their twenties, um, as I'm working with them, this age category uh, are asking questions that frankly. Uh, listen, I didn't start asking mm. until I was in my 40s, like the idea of a healthy work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would love, I mean, I'm in my early 50s as well. And, uh, you know, I think maybe the first time I started really asking that is maybe in my mid-40s. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I hate to say that I was yeah. that foolish, you know, but I was so driven by what was taking place in my life that it's like I just didn't pause. Luckily, I had a, a, a wonderful and forgiving spouse who who was able to allow me to have always an unbalanced helpful. work always life helpful. Balance, you know? Um, but I do love the fact that this younger generation, they're asking questions like that. Yeah. They're asking questions about their intentionality of career choices, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think, I don't think folks in our age range necessarily were. I think that sometimes society interprets that as laziness. Uh, and I think sometimes this current generation gets a bit of a bad rap uh, for some of those pieces. But what they're really asking for is they're saying, hey, I don't want to make my whole life about this idea of the pursuit of the yeah. ever-loving dollar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually want to have a life that makes makes a greater impact. I frankly rejoice in that. Yeah. Uh, if we can train them up and make sure that Christ is is uh, how they're learning to apply that, mm-hmm. then then I say, man, what a what a blessing yeah. that we have you know, to be able to be a part of that uh, that formation. Um, when we're talking about that, let, let's kind of get into a little bit of discussion on the idea of why Christian education. Mm. Uh, uh, so, you know, we, I'm, I'm sending kids out uh, after 12th grade. I've got lots of kids who are making decisions about what that next step will be. I'm frankly answering the question of, of why Christian education on a K-12 level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's take it from, from a, a college and university level. Why Christian education? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I'm sure you have some lecture discourse on this as well. Lecture notes on this as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple things come to mind, uh, right away. Um, the first is, uh, a quote from Stanley Hauerwas, the theologian who said, um, all education is moral formation. Mm. And I think he's right. Um, and, and the question is just how are people being formed morally, spiritually via, the education that they receive. Um, and uh, I think we're, we're quick, we have been quick to uh, reduce education um, to simply job training, job preparation, right. knowledge acquisition. And I don't think that's the way scripture, I mean, scripture doesn't talk so much about education. It does about, about discipleship. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that the work that we do at Covenant College is an extension of the great commission. We're called to make disciples and we're in the disciple making business our disciple making has a distinct intellectual and pre-professional component to it, but it's, it's disciple making. And so I think it's naive to look at education and think, Oh, it's just about the job training 
and um, the rest doesn't matter. And sadly, American higher education in general gave up on intentional moral formation of students in the late 19th, early 20th century with the rise of the research university model. They outsourced faculties, outsourced moral formation to student development offices, Mm -hmm. and student development offices didn't have any anchor or foundation for whatever concept of, you know, moral, now there's, but you could look now and there's a lot of moral formation going on in American universities through the student development offices that are pushing, you know, other a, agendas, yeah. other agendas, not biblical agendas right. for the formation right. they of, they are helping form morals. Just, yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah. Right. So, so I think it's important to, to remember that, that education is not just the job training, that it's about um, moral formation and I often make the case to people that if you can be in an educational institution where you don't have to compromise on biblical faithfulness and a biblical moral vision or on the quality of academic preparation that you're receiving, um, you know, why, why would you choose anything right. less why than that? Choose, that right. sounds like an amazing opportunity to right. be given a chance to be in a place we're going to be stretched intellectually and equipped professionally um, and also formed uh, spiritually and morally uh, and socially at the same time. Um, we're going to be uh, ensconced in a network of relationships that will sustain you for um, the rest of your life, right. probably. Right. Uh, if and, you do it right, it should. Yeah. 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 And so um, I, certainly there are, are Christian educational institutions that, that don't deliver on that sort of uh, on that sort of promise, uh, but there are a lot to do, and um, it makes me sad to think that people um, might bypass that for the sake of I don't know student section tickets to a game that they're right. interested in or right. <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Which, right? Where I, I I'm always intrigued. I'll, I'll I'll be with parents, and they will be making um, prayerful, godly decisions. Uh, it, it seems like in everything else in their life, and then sometimes when it comes to their choice in education, it, it feels as though it's it's just about uh, where will my kid be able to get the best job when they leave yeah. here, or how will they get into the best yeah. college or whatever. But it's it, it's it's always intriguing. We've come through the last three years have been such unique and intriguing years. Um, it, it's really when I began here, I began. I mean, I accepted this position just before COVID was released. Uh, and even once it was released, we kind of thought, well, hey, we'll be back after spring break. Oh, we'll yeah. be back after this break. You know, it wasn't until later. So it 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 has been a, it has been a peculiar three years. Um, I'm watching the impact uh, from the epidemic on Christian education K to twelve. What has the impact been on the college level for a Christian school uh, during and post uh, COVID? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a um Sadly, it's been it's not been as good for colleges and universities as it has been for K through twelve institutions. Right. I mean, we talked earlier about Barry Giller up at Charlotte Christian. Right. I was with Barry last month, and and he was saying, "Boy, you know, a lot of schools with a lot of Christian schools with wait lists right. up here." Um, that's not been the case at the higher ed level, and part of that is is larger uh, larger trends. So, higher ed enrollment nationally has been declining since twenty twelve. Right. So, fewer people choosing to go to college, um, which makes the market more competitive and that's only supposed to accelerate beginning in 2026 when you get the the follow-on from um the drop of the birth rate during the the great recession so demographers say that 2020 beginning in 2026 there will be fewer high school graduates every year 
for at least a decade. And that's because in 2008, when the recession hit, Americans stopped having as many babies. Right. And I think that birth rate finally uh, stopped dropping last year in 2021. But I think it's at 1.63, 1.64 now. I have to check that statistic, but it's below, certainly below the 2.1 replacement rate. So Americans aren't having enough babies to replace Americans. Right. Um, fewer high school graduates projected and, uh, and, you know, already a tightening higher ed market. And so, um, yeah, I, I know that in June of this past year, um, 80% of the Christian colleges in the country who report their data um, had not hit their enrollment targets. Mm. Uh, so, and I think that's just a product of all of the competition right. that's out there. Right. Um, and, people, an, and an underdeveloped. A, right. A smaller birth rate, people not attending college at the same rates. Mm -hmm. And we have the all, also the presence of online formats that, that yeah. people are pursuing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been yeah, shocking to me. That's been interesting. Yeah, so the, the there has been a slight, just this last year, but this, there was a slight uptick in um, number of 18 to 22-year-olds choosing online. But but there hasn't been, the when the when the pandemic first hit in the spring of 2020, I read multiple articles that said, this is it. This is the tipping point. Now we're finally going to go online for college and everyone's going to go online. And this is the end of the brick and mortar campus. It was probably two weeks after we sent students home that I started to get the emails. Hey, President Halverson, when can we come back to campus? Right. I miss being on campus. Right. I love my parents, but I don't want to live in my high school bedroom anymore. I, there is for 18 to 22 year olds, the on-campus experience is still... Right. The first choice, not to say that that some won't fit in an online class here or there. In the same way that back in the olden days when you and I went to college, people did correspondence courses. Right. You remember those, I right? Do. Yeah, I remember yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they were not good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is it's it is so intriguing. If there's any lesson that I have seen that is that was learned during this period of time is the importance of community. Yeah, I think that we had we had really downplayed the importance of community. One of the trends that I'm watching just on the K-12 level, and unfortunately I haven't done the data and research on the college level, uh, but the rate of depression, mm. the rate of uh, suicide, yeah. uh, the, 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 the rate of uh, violence. I mean, we're, we're seeing all of those numbers escalate at a dramatic yeah. level. Uh, to the tune of you know d depression related incidents that require hospitalization from from just three years ago are mm -hmm. up seven hundred percent right yeah. now, and so when we when we look at those pieces, one central co contributing factor to that is the absence of community mm -hmm. that that we don't realize that as human beings we need each other yeah. we need to have that that interplay. Uh, with other people where we're discussing, where we're disagreeing, where we're, we, we have to have that piece that it's, it's, it, it's an essential part of our humanness. Uh, and because that has been absent, now we're seeing the impacts of that uh, on the, on the K-12, I'm sure yeah. on the college level. Yeah. As well. We're, we're seeing the same sorts of, of, of rise in mental health issues and, and, you know, I've had to beef up our counseling center mm -hmm. for that reason. And some of that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that students come today and there's a less of a stigma yes, with saying absolutely. I need a counselor and that's absolutely. great. Right. Um, but it, that is a real concern. And I think you're absolutely right that embodied presence together is really important for human. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, Jesus Christ did not come as an avatar. <laughs> uh, he came, I mean, it's good that we're having this conversation in Advent season, right? right. He, he came right. as an in the flesh, in the flesh. human right. being. 
Um, God created us to be embodied creatures and to be in community. Um, it wasn't good when Adam was alive. Right, it wasn't when he, it, right. it was, it was, it's important for us to be. And so, yeah, you know, a, a Zoom call is a, you know, in a pinch, probably a helpful uh, simulation right. of, of a, of real interaction, but it's not a real interaction. It's not a it's substitute. Not, it's not a substitute. And, and, and that's where I, I know that for the first, you know, six to eight months, I had lots of friends who, you know, they were saying, well, oh, hey, I'm shutting down my storefronts. I'm going entirely online. I'm doing this, you know, and, and it seemed like, boy, it was the greatest thing ever. Well, so many of those same friends, they're now purchasing back storefronts and renting back store, you know, yeah. because they recognize in their businesses in this, in the educational setting, that community piece is so crucial. Yeah. All right. Tell me where, where you guys are going next. Tell me a little bit about kind of the vision of, uh, of where you're leading the school. You are now in your 10th year, right? Yeah, you celebrated yeah, 10, in March. 10, 10 under 10 my belt. Yeah. So yeah. In my, into my 11th year now. Right. Uh, yeah. A lot more gray hair. Um, <laughs> Than when I started. Yeah. So I think that one of the, I mean, I mentioned earl, earlier um, just how valuable a, a place is an educational Christian educational institution is it's uncompromising both in it's mm -hmm. um, in it's biblical faithfulness and it's commitment to really excellent academic preparation for people's callings. And, and sadly um, I, I just don't know that there are that many places where you can get that sort of education. I mean, it's a, a an unfortunate byproduct of the history of higher education in America. I mean, everyone knows that the earliest yeah. higher educational institutions in the country were distinctively Christian institutions that right. abandoned That's right. the faith. Um, and, and many of the institutions that were founded in the 19th century were Christian institutions that abandoned the faith in pursuit of some, some idea of, of academic prestige or just because of secularization, that kind of thing. And many Christian educational institutions were established in response to that um, and are very concerned about being Christian, but don't necessarily have... Um, high academic standards, high right. academic expectations, right. that kind of thing. And so that's, I think that finding places that combine, you know, in, in the spirit of the original colonial colleges, right. really great uh, education and really serious commitment to right. Jesus Christ and his word. Um, those places are few and far between. And I think those places have, uh, have the opportunity to equip and prepare young men and women to go into positions. Um, not that they all have to, but, men and women who could go into positions where they might have some sort of leavening influence uh, right. in our culture, in our institutions. I like that phrase. That's a good um, phrase. Yeah. And so that's, I think in terms of sort of big picture vision, we want to be one of the places that um, equips and prepares young men and women uh, in that way. Um, and, and we, I think are already doing a lot of that. We have, we send a lot of folks to law school, to med school, um, to different graduate school programs. Um, we have, you know, great, Great grad school placements, um, great law school placements. And you have a master's program there on campus. We have got a master's program in education on campus that uh, is an outstanding, um, I mean, I'm a little biased, I suppose, but I don't know <laughs> that you're going to find a better uh, Christian uh, MED program in the country. That's where I'm trying to push my son. He's finishing up this year with his undergrad. And, oh, good. And that's where I'm trying. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe, telling him all the great things maybe that we'll you have guys a, are doing. Maybe we'll have a conversation off air, see what we can do. Okay. Work, work a deal. Okay. I would yeah. like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so uh, we're actually, um, I mean, in, in the process of investing in some programs that we think um, are, are well positioned for growth and for sending people out. I mean, I, we're, we're, investing in our business program. Mm -hmm. Um, man, there's a need there is. for godly there is. business operators, business people, uh, in the world. Um, and, and, and not just people who are pious and 
know how to run the numbers or run the organization, but people who really do what we're talking about earlier have thought about how does, how does my biblical frame of reference or my biblical worldview inform how I approach, um, the market, my employees, uh, the numbers, that sort of thing. Um, so we're making investments in our, in our business program, uh, investments in, I mentioned earlier, our, our dual degree, uh, engineering partnership with Georgia tech. There's not another Christian college in the country cutting edge that is partnered with, uh, a, engineering school like Georgia Tech. And mm-hmm. I was just with alums of our program um, earlier this week here in Atlanta. And I mean, they're doing all sorts of, you know, aerospace and chemical and electrical and mechanical and civil and industrial. And um, they, they've benefited from a, a core curriculum that's rich in Bible and theology and liberal arts, um, and then great STEM preparation on our campus before they go to Georgia Tech. The Georgia Tech deans have said, send us more of those people. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to send them. I think they at Georgia Tech, they like engineers who can look you in the eye and have a conversation with you about, right. and maybe even about something besides engineering. Right. Uh, so um, we're, we're anticipating some growth in those areas and then continuing to um, invest in, the pre-med things that we're doing, the right. pre-law things right. that we're doing. Uh, we were pretty excited to have uh, one of our pre-law alums. She's been out a little over a decade now um, and clerked at the Supreme Court. Um, she went from Covenant back. She's from Florida and back to Florida, was top of her class at Florida Law, clerked for a couple of federal judges, clerked for Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court and was appointed to the federal bench at age 33. Mm. Um, so I think she's the second youngest federal judge in history. Um, and, uh, it's exciting to think that a committed and thoughtful follower of Christ could be sitting on a federal bench for decades. Absolutely. Um, that's, she has potential to have some leavening influence, um, in our culture. And so, um, so, so much of the, of the advancement on that college level is programmatic. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's the idea of developing something where you're telling a keen, mm-hmm. uh, authentic and rigorous story, uh, that can yeah. be applied in yeah. the, in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah I should have mentioned, I mean, you mentioned earlier your entrepreneurial bent and we have a great, uh, entrepreneurship certificate program. Chatt- I mean, we're right, we're right outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a really vibrant little startup, um, community. Right. And yeah, it's really coming on tap. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, uh, we, we, so we've seen a number of students go through this program and then start businesses. And if you were to talk to folks on the south side of Chattanooga, um, which has been revitalized in the past couple of decades, um, they would say, boy, yeah, I think there are Covenant College alums all over the place right. uh, in who have contributed to the revital, you know, starting little businesses in neighborhoods that are transitional and, and contributing to that. And well, that's like, as believers, we ought to be a blessing to those around us, right? right. I mean, this is a part of the... Abrahamic covenant that we're going to be a blessing to all of the world. And, and so I'm excited about, you know, investing in things that allow our, our students to go out and to be leavening influences, to be a blessing to those around them. That's Um, great. Yeah. Well, Dr. Halverson, it has been great to have you on the show. President of Covenant College. I completely believe in what you are doing. Uh, We are, we're kind of, I really consider Christian ed K-12 and on the college level. We are on the front lines uh, I think we're going to have more of an opportunity in the spread of the gospel than we ever have had in the past. And uh, and I feel like we just need to stay strong and keep working and, and understanding that Christ is at the center of what we're doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate you being here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real treat. Thank you very much. 
We have been overwhelmed with the glowing response to season one of the Joy of Leadership podcast. Thank you to our faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And thank you for telling your friends. And thank you even more for liking us on YouTube or wherever you receive your podcasts. While we are blessed to have faithful listeners in every section of the U.S., our biggest cities being Atlanta, New York, Seattle, and even Wichita, Kansas, we have been surprised by the global impact of the podcast. We are literally reaching thousands around the world with faithful weekly listeners in Canada, Kenya, the Netherlands, and even Sri Lanka. We are humbled by God's favor on our program as we encourage others to keep Christ in the center. This show could not take place without the expertise and brilliance of our producer, David Bell, and our director, Blake Pace. Boldly lives at the intersection of vocational success and spiritual courage. Email us at thejoyofleadership at gmail.com. Thank you for being a faithful member of the Joy of Leadership podcast family.